Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Uh, good morning. Uh, the teaching text today comes from Galatians 5, 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have been crucified with the flesh, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Y'all can take a seat. Well, we've been in Galatians uh, 5 this summer, studying uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. We're on to number four uh, today. And just to orient you in this book that we've been studying, we're returning to Galatians. Remind you that is, uh, this, this is Paul writing a letter to a church in the city of Galatia. And this, this church was primarily a Gentile community, meaning they were a non-Jewish community, which was a big deal, one of the early controversies as the church was getting started after the resurrection of Jesus and the descent of uh, the Holy Spirit. And this Gentile church in Galatia was being infiltrated by a group of people we could call Judaizers. These are Jewish believers who saw these Gentile believers and thought, hey, you guys are like JV Christians. If you want to be real Christians, you effectively need to become Jewish first. You need to become, be circumcised and obey the law of Moses in order to be real varsity, you know, A-squad uh, Christians. And the fear of these Judaizers was that if these believers didn't follow the law of Moses, that the life of the community was going to derail, that it was going to fall into a disorder. And Paul completely disagreed. And in response to the message of these Judaizers, uh, Paul said, uh, what we have in Galatians 5 is the most uh, impassioned defense anywhere in Scripture of the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit to guide the community of faith. But, but he says the Judaizers' message that the law must provide ordered governance was actually really, really appealing to these uh, Galatian believers. They wanted rules. It tapped into a deep and persistent human need for rules and structure. And these Judaizers brought a gospel that answered that felt need. They said, look, we're going to give you the book that tells you how to do everything. And they were fearful of this freedom that they had in the Spirit. And Paul says, no, the Spirit is sufficient. But there was something in the message of those Judaizers that was appealing. It reminds me of a song. Some of y'all will know the name Derek Webb. He was kind of a chip-on-his-shoulder songwriter, still out there. And he wrote a snarky uh, song about this human desire for rules instead of simply trusting in the work of the Holy Spirit. So he said in his song called New Law... He says, don't teach me about politics and government. Just tell me who to vote for. Don't teach me about truth and beauty. Just label my music. Is it Christian or is it secular, you know? Don't teach me how to live like a free man. Just give me a new law. I don't want to know if the answers aren't easy. So just bring it down from the mountain to me. I want a new law. I want a new law. Give me that new law. 
But Paul was arguing uh, that, that trusting in Jesus and walking by the Holy Spirit was more than enough for them. This is Richard Hayes, that same commentator. Paul's counsel in the book of Galatians is a daring summons, urging the church to trust that they can live without being subject to the law of Moses as long as the Spirit guides and shapes the community. As we were singing a minute ago, your goodness is running after me, therefore with my life laid down I surrender now. Because your goodness is running after me, because the Spirit is at work, I can surrender. And if the Spirit is at work, we can be confident the Spirit will guide and shape the community. For the community will organically produce fruit formed by the Holy Spirit. A church like this that's really trusting in the Holy Spirit, a church that's guided by Paul's hopeful word, would cultivate a community not of anxiety, but a, co- a community of flexibility and freedom, living with openness toward the unpredictable, liberating movement of God's Spirit. And the church at its best, and maybe you've experienced life like this in a church community in your lifetime, maybe you're hungering for it, the church at its best has been willing to take the gamble that Paul recommends, wagering its future on the guidance of the Spirit, trusting God, and performing without a safety net. Uh, we gather for prayer every Thursday, and right now we're praying through the book of Philippians, and we were at that part of Philippians 2 where it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And in prayer, one of the questions that we were reflecting on is, is your, how deep is your well of trust? that God is actually working in your life? How deep is your well of trust that the Spirit is intending to guide you and guide us as a community if only we'll cooperate? As we get to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians 5, 22 through 25 gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is this broad brush painting of the caliber of community that the Spirit produces. That a group of people who are trusting in Jesus and trying to keep in step with the Spirit will together in their life together produce this cornucopia of great flavors. (laughs) You've got love and joy and peace. And today we're going to talk about the next one, which is patience. As we think about patience, it made me think of this quote that's somewhat famous by Augustine of Hippo where he prays, Lord, teach me chastity, but not yet. (laughs) Give me sexual purity, but not just yet. And similarly, we might pray, Lord, teach me patience, and could you do it quickly? It'd be helpful right now. Now, I I started to think about um, all of the reasons why being impatient makes sense. And actually, there are a lot of reasons why feeling impatient is justifiable. Uh, We're often impatient because uh, the world is not as it should be. There's stuff, or maybe, maybe for many of us, the world is not as we would prefer it to be. So you know this experience of impatience, you're in traffic and you're running late and everyone but you is a dummy behind the wheel. (laughs) You feel a little impatient. Or maybe you're feeling impatient because you have a big financial need that you've been asking God to help meet and that due date, the bill is coming up and you don't see any way that he's going to meet your needs. You feel a little bit impatient about that. Some this morning will relate to uh, you really wanted to get to worship on time and your children can't put on their shoes to save their life. You're like, seriously, it's not that hard. Just put them on and get in the car and it takes 50 reminders. You feel impatient. Some of you, your marriage is in a crisis and you've been crying out to God to intervene and you're impatient for a breakthrough and it doesn't feel like anything's happening. 
Some of you, you, there are deep longings in your heart that you presented to the Lord, trust in the Lord with all your heart, you know, and, and He's not giving you the desires of your heart. You want to get married and you haven't found the right person or you've gone through a difficult breakup or you long to have children and yet you're struggling with infertility. Maybe someone that you love is sick and you've been hoping for some kind of intervention, whether it's medical or divine, you want some kind of healing. Or maybe it's you and you've got wounds on your soul and you're like, I wish I could have gotten better by now. I'm this age and I'm still wrestling with those things. And healing is coming slowly and you're feeling impatient. Now, sometimes what looks like impatience is actually the crystallization of discontent, and it's a godly thing. Uh, sometimes it, these, this kind of crystallization of discontent can lead to righteous action. You've probably heard this quote by uh, Dr. King. He said, I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the Ku Klux Klaner. But the white moderate who's more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically feels that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom who lives by the myth of time and who consistently advises the Negro to wait until a more convenient season. Sometimes that, imp that, that impatience is a crystallization of discontent that leads to righteous action, but oftentimes when we think about the, the impatience that we deal with, these are act the actions that flow from impatience are harmful. They're destructive relationally. They're destructive just in the universe at all of its levels, in the short term and in the long term. Think about the things that we do because we're impatient. Because we're impatient to be heard and to be understood, uh, we text while driving, literally putting other lives at risk. That, like they so need to hear this from me right now. Because we're impatient to be heard and to be understood, sometimes we like overstate our case because we want to bully someone into our perspective. Sometimes we're so impatient for closeness with others that we subtly manipulate them to get the things that we want or need, or we try to get our way through passive-aggressive comments rather than simply asking others humbly and earnestly for the things that we need. You could think about those people, surely these people are not in this room, but other people that you might work with who are so impatient for a promotion that they quietly undercut their coworkers, Or maybe they embellish their accomplishments to get something that's going to be favorable to them. I'm a big feeler. I feel a lot of big things. And I, I know many of us have had those moments where we're impatient to not be overwhelmed by the big things that we're feeling. And so wanting to not feel such big feelings, we seek things that are going to help take the edge off. Often that's in substances, to numb, to escape reality. Sometimes we're so impatient for that next thing that we want that we check it obsessively and obsessively and obsessively and we elevate our own anxiety and the anxiety of people around us because they see how we're impatiently obsessing. Sometimes we're so impatient for a break from our children that even though we know ourselves to be addicts to our screens and we would say, I really wish I were on my screens way less, we very quickly put our children in front of the screens, training them to be addicts too. We're impatient for a break. 
Some of us are impatient for you know, sexual stimulation, and so we sneak explicit images or videos that pollute our souls, and they simultaneously undermine the real relationships. And here's the great paradox of all of this. In thinking about the actions that are driven by impatience, actions driven by impatience rarely fulfill our deepest hopes, and they often leave us feeling worse. Like you look at something that you know, like you don't want to look at and you shouldn't look at, but there's some kind of itch that you feel will be scratched if you do, but you feel worse on the other side of it. Or you just want to lash out at that person. Like they, they deserve it, and you feel so much shame on the other side of it. Well, why is this? I think one reason is at the root of impatience is fear. It's fear that our needs are not going to be met. Like if I don't assert myself, if I don't intervene, my need is not going to be met. Or there's a fear that I don't have what it takes to endure patiently because this is really hard. And so what we do is driven by fear, we look for shortcuts And we hope that those shortcuts, those actions driven by impatience are going to scratch that itch. But what those shortcuts often do in reality is amplify our shame. Now, if this is the case, you would sure think like over time, we would figure out that this is how it works. That like we're adults, we learn. But there's a reason that we're often slow to learn that the actions driven by impatience don't deliver on what we most deeply want. Um, Andy Crouch, in his new book, which is called The Life We're Looking For, says that many of these easy shortcuts in life that are driven by impatience, talking about things like being manipulative or lashing out in anger or using pornography or especially in his book talking about zoning out on screens, uh, these shortcuts give us a deceptive feeling of an internal reward. If in doing them, it had no payoff whatsoever, we wouldn't do them. But there's some kind of short-term satisfaction in it. It gives us this deceptive feeling of internal rewards in a way that is not unlike narcotics. This is what he has to say. Uh, Hang with me here. He says, drugs of addiction like cocaine, amphetamine, methamphetamine, nicotine, and alcohol generate hijack and amplify the dopamine reward signal. So you know the little red notification that you've gotten that someone has texted you or someone has liked something that you've done? We feel, we have this like chemical reaction to that when we see somebody noticed me and it feels like a little reward in our bodies biologically. And when we take those little shortcuts, there's often some kind of little reward in it. That's a dopamine hit that we get. He's saying hard drugs generate, hijack, and amplify this reward signal. But the real power of these drugs goes beyond their ability to generate rewards. And remember, we're not just talking drugs, but many of these shortcut behaviors. Not only do they unleash floods of rewarding dopamine, they simultaneously prevent us from learning that their rewards are fleeting. At a primal level, they create the sensation that their rewards are ever new and ever worth pursuing, even as our own self-awareness and reflection tell us that they are damaging and degrading. 
We are, however, built to learn over time what produces real reward. We're designed with built-in systems to help us anticipate and pursue the good. But in our era of impatient shortcuts to get what we want, we have developed ever more powerful ways around this system. We should know that, that acting in these ways doesn't deliver quite like we'd hope, but there's something deceptive about them that undermines our ability to learn. And so we forget, and so we return, and we return, and we return to those shortcut behaviors. Crouch is saying, in other words, that we take these impatient shortcuts, things like images on the internet or lashing out or manipulating or numbing out on screens, thinking that they'll generate something good for us, and they give us that immediate hit of what we want in the short term, but in the long term, they undermine our ability to really discern what leads to health and what helps us to be well. While impatience often makes sense, the actions that are driven by impatience are often self-defeating and undermining. Now, the NIV, uh, the word that I'm calling patience is translated forbearance. Uh, it shows up in other versions using uh, different terms. It, this comes to us in the Greek from a compound word, makrothumia. Makros meaning far or long, and thumos or thuo meaning passion and sacrifice. And the connotation of that term there is like uh, uh, suffering that leads to death. So you've perhaps heard uh, Jesus' crucifixion talked about as his passion or the passion of the Christ, like the suffering of the Messiah. And so put together, we've got long and we've got suffering. That's K the KJV translation is patience as long-suffering. But thinking about long and thinking about suffering leading to death, I, I like to think about patience as long plus sacrifice, meaning patience is a slow death. Sitting in traffic and you're just, like the, the light has turned green and the car is sitting there and you're like, this feels like a slow death. Or, or you've, you know, in much more situ serious situations, you're asking God to intervene and it feels like nothing is happening and it feels like part of you is, is dying. Patience is a slow death. The difficulty of practicing patience is that there are some core lies that we intrinsically believe that need to be killed off. And the killing off of those core lies is the essence of patience. One of the lies that many of us struggle with is, I'm the only one looking after my needs. The lie is, no one else is looking after my needs. Therefore, because no one else is looking after my needs, I have to kick and fight and claw and scream to get those needs met. Another lie that many of us believe that's slow to die off is, I don't have what it takes to get through this moment of being overwhelmed or through this long-term crisis. And so, because no one else is looking after my needs, or because I don't have it in me to make it through, I must take some kind of shortcut to leverage my ability to, to find some satisfaction. Because I can't meet my own needs, I, I have to take some kind of shortcut to ease the discomfort that I'm feeling. But for the person who's trusted in Jesus... The person who's filled with God's Spirit, these are lies. We learn that these are lies that we have to put to death. Patience is a slow death. I did find it ironic, by the way. Emily uh, was gone this weekend catching up with college friends, and so I was with our four kids from like 1 o'clock on Friday until, you know, through bedtime last night, which is great. That's not babysitting, by the way. That's parenting, okay? <laughs> but... Uh, um, I was thinking about, I'm preaching on patience tomorrow, 
And I did pretty well <laughs> until last night. And I'm doing the thing that all of us parents do where I'm making those ultimatum threats and I'm like saying like stuff I'm never going to do. It's like, shortcut, I'm doing it right now. I need to hear a sermon about this. It's a slow death. I'm still dying. For the person who is trusted in Jesus and the person who's been filled with God's Spirit, we have to know that these are core lies that need to be killed off. Uh, these lies are a bit like Natalie Portman's character in V for Vendetta, where she's been locked up in solitary confinement uh, for months and then realized that the door was unlocked the whole time and she could walk out whenever she pleased. Learning to live as free women and free men and harnessing all the resources available to us in the Holy Spirit requires us to put to death the lies that we're the only person looking after our needs. Requires us to put to death the lie that, that, that I don't have what's in me. Remember what I just shared in Philippians chapter 2. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Oh, I can't remember the reference, but you remember the scripture. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. You go to Hebrews 2.11, but we're in the family of God. Or think of uh, uh, 2 Peter 3. In his divine providence, he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. There are lies that need to be put to death. Uh, some of y'all in our church will remember uh, The Good and Beautiful God by James Bryan Smith. There was a great uh, uh, story in here. There's this guy named Craig. Craig was a zoo architect, which required him to travel a lot. One day, he and his business colleagues were flying back to the United States from Germany when they got stuck in the Atlanta airport and were, were told their flight would be delayed for several hours. Those several hours passed, and a few more came, and then finally they were told that the flight had been canceled. The delay meant that there were no options to get home that night, and they would have to spend the night in Atlanta. The anger level in the concourse was reaching a fever pitch. All of the passengers were forced into a long line to rebook their flights. Craig and his business partner stood in line and watched as each person spoke harshly to the young woman who was trying to help them. When it was Craig's turn, he looked at the young woman, smiled, and said, I promise I'm not going to be mean to you. Her countenance softened, and she simply said, thank you. Their exchange was pleasant, and he got their flights booked for the next day. As they walked down the concourse, Craig was smiling despite the disappointment. His business partner had been watching him. He said, Craig, I've known you a long time. A year ago, you would have been enraged by what we went through today, and you would have lit into that woman at the counter. Craig said, you know what? You're right, but I've changed. I know who I am, and I know where I am. I'm a person in whom Christ dwells, and I live in the kingdom of God, of a God who loves me and is caring for me. I'm frustrated, but I'm still at peace. We'll get home tomorrow. There's nothing for us to do. Anger doesn't help anything. I figure we might as well just enjoy the unexpected turn of events. His friend just shook his head in amazement. I'm not sure what you've been eating or drinking, but you have really changed. It was what Craig had been doing and thinking for the last year that brought about the change. Craig had followed his desire to become a different kind of person by signing up for the apprentice group and training for transformation. Craig was not alone. His desire to do the work and the changes he experienced as a result occurred only because of the work of the Holy Spirit, not by his own willpower. Willard, Dallas Willard talks about growing in indirection. 
by indirection. We don't grow by saying, I want to become a patient person, but we grow by being trained to live in the kingdom and walk by the Spirit. A bottom line for, for all of us, a bottom line reality for all of us is the reality of uncontrollable realities. There are things that despite our efforts, despite our connections, despite our, you know, charm and good looks, you know, like all of you, uh, there, are, there is the reality of uncontrollable realities. Things that are going to happen that might naturally provoke us to fear or to feelings of insufficiency, which could provoke us to take some kind of shortcut, some kind of action driven by fear and impatience. But if patience along with love and joy and peace and the others is a fruit of the Spirit, the question for us is not how do I become a more patient person, not how do I fix this flaw in my character, but the question becomes, Lord, how may I more fully cooperate with your Holy Spirit today? How can I more completely in that John 15, 5 kind of way sink my roots down into Jesus Christ? I am the vine You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. How can I abide more deeply in the person of Jesus Christ? How may I more fully live and move and have my being in the Holy Spirit today? How can I more fully trust in this slow death and the slow work of the Holy Spirit, though everything in me is screaming to hurry things along? As we consider how to respond to this text and this invitation today, and really every week, I think there are two ways that we're being invited to respond. One of them for us is to repent. And to repent is to have a change of mind. It's to think differently. And to have a shift from a self-centered life to a God-centered life. And when I'm believing the lie that I'm the only person who can meet my needs, I'm living a John-centered life. And that just doesn't hold up with the way of the kingdom of God and the generosity of our Father. And so I need to confess, Lord, I have put myself at the center of the universe again. There's something uh, I've, Emily and I have been asking God for, a couple of things that Emily and I have been asking God for for over a year. And as we we're singing during worship today, I was like, I still have to surrender that. I still have to trust that I'm not the only one who meets my needs, but God gives me everything that I need. We need to repent, Lord, I've been believing lies from the enemy. I've been putting myself at the center of the universe. I've been indulging my impatience. I've been listening to fear, and I pray that you will transform my mind. Some of you may say, I know that I need to make that prayer of repentance today. The other thing that we're invited to do is to believe the gospel again, to remember of the sufficiency of Jesus for us, to center our life on him can remember to speak to our shame that no matter what we've done, what we've said, what we've thought, or what we've not done, Jesus, His love covers all of those sins. He covers our shame. The story, the, most, the truest story that He tells about us is the story He told on the cross. And the truest thing that's true of us is not our Enneagram or our Myers-Briggs, but it's who we are in Christ in baptism made a new creation in Him. So no one's too far off for a fresh start. We remember the good news that in trusting in Jesus, His Spirit lives in us, and therefore there is more than enough. A friend of mine years ago wrote a song and said, there's more than enough joy, there's more than enough love, there's more than enough peace with Jesus and me. Recognizing that we're not just the only ones pulling for ourselves, we see that Jesus is at the right hand of His Father pulling and praying for us, and we need to believe the gospel again. 
And so as we come to the table to prepare, this is a great opportunity for us to reflect, to reflect on the ways in which we've put ourselves at the center of the universe, to repent of that lie from the enemy that we've been buying into, that we don't have what it takes, or that we're the only ones who can contend for our needs, and we need to remember again the good news of the gospel, that Jesus loves himself, uh, loves us so much that he would give himself for us, that he's pulling for us at the right hand of his Father, and it's been his delight to send to us the gift of the Holy Spirit to generate these qualities in those who believe and those who will keep in step. Let's pray together. I wonder if uh, folks here who you would just say, like, I know I need to have a change of thinking. I have been manipulative. I have been controlling. I have been angry. I have taken all of those shortcuts. And you would just say in your own words to the Lord, Lord, I am sorry and I repent and I need your help. Even to repent requires the operation of God's Spirit. So maybe you'd say, Lord, like, Lord, I'm not there yet, but I want to repent. I want to want to repent. I know that there's a problem here, and I need you to intervene. Maybe you just say in your own words, Lord, I need your help today. And then for all of us as we come to the table, sometimes we go through the motions of all of this in the absence of true faith and communion with God. And maybe you would just, like, whether physically or metaphorically, lift your eyes to God and say, Jesus, I trust in you. You know, I trust in you when I was a kid, but I want to trust in you right now. I want to trust the truth that you are pulling for me and you know what I need before I ask. I just put my faith in you again. Maybe there's a specific thing that you're worried about or you've been angry about, and the Lord is inviting you today to surrender and to trust that he's going to handle it. You just say, Lord, that thing, that desire, that longing, that fear, I surrender that to you and I take up your peace. I take up your Holy Spirit and I pray, Lord, would you be in me what I cannot be on my own? And Lord Jesus, for all of us as we get ready to, um, you know, as we just live and the world is complicated, we remember the message of Scripture that you are not slow in keeping your promises. Instead, you are patient, not wanting any to perish. So Jesus, we pray that you would increase our faith in your timing, increase our patience with your patience, and we trust that you're going to restore and renew all things. We love you. We put our trust in you. And all God's people said, amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship and community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.